Welcome to the latest edition of A Deeper Planet. My name is Daryl, and today we speak with Lydia, the embodiment coach. Lydia has been studying and practicing meditation and holistic living for over a decade. She has worked with over 13,000 people to tap into their innate and powerful intuitive capabilities through deep listening of their bodies, emotions, and energetic experiences. Today, I spoke to Lydia about her work as an embodiment coach is helping people understand their mind-body connection and to live deeper lives. Well, hi, Lydia. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Thanks for being a part of the Deeper Planet podcast. Yeah. So, Lydia, you are self-described as an embodiment coach. It caught my attention on this wisdom app that we're both a part of. So tell me a little bit about what is an embodiment coach in your words? Most people, when they hear the term coach or life coach, you know, they think of some specific things like, you know, helping you navigate your life, setting goals, dealing with kind of various general, general things. Mm -hmm. Um, I niche. So my specific niche is in the realm of embodiment. What that means is I came to embodiment coaching. My background is as a massage therapist, yoga teacher, massage Mm -hmm. teacher, health coach, etc. And in the past 15 years, I've worked with like over close to 13,000 people. And I have noticed many of us are dissociated from our bodies. Mm -hmm. And we live mostly in our heads. And then we feel a lot of struggle, and we don't know what to do. And there's a disconnect in the Western paradigm of trying to, you know, I think therefore I am this whole, Mm -hmm. everything is about the mind mindset and your thoughts and nothing is really related to the body and everything's separate and embodiment is more about how actually everything is connected. And if we stay disconnected from our bodies, we're only going to get so far in life and in connection to others and ourselves. So embodiment is about bringing, facilitating safe space. And by safe, I mean consent-based, trauma-informed space for clients to learn how to come back into a deeper connection with themselves, with their sensations, with their emotions, with an understanding that everything's integrated and that there are actually very effective ways to navigate and to learn how to have better inner relationship, inner dialogue, so then they can move out of survival mode or struggle in their relationships with their vision with people and come into places of like, it sounds, it's very abstract to say, Mm -hmm. go from survival to thrive, (laughs) but there's very (laughs) effective tools. And I work in research evidence-based tools mixed integrated with spirituality and philosophy. So essentially in a sentence, I help people get out of their heads back into connection with themselves and their bodies so that they can live in authenticity. You know, that relates really perfectly to what we try to do on this podcast. Um, You know, you talk about deep listening to your body. I mean, this is a deeper planet. We do want people to think about the mind, body, and spirit in different ways uh, so that they can really, you know, like you said, thrive but live deeper lives uh, and more enriched lives. Um, What can I ask? What inspired you to take? your experience in massage and yoga and move toward these kinds of things. Did you see a problem that needed to be helped or what was your inspiration? 
I, it came, comes from many places. You know, I think most of our inspiration in life comes from our own personal experience and what we mm -hmm. want to learn and embody essentially. So a lot of it's from my own personal experience of going through a lot of um, healing crisis, chronic health conditions, dealing with PTSD, CPTSD, uh, various mental health challenges throughout my life. That is kind of mostly what drove me into the holistic world of being in the body, holistic practices of massage and yoga, meditation, healing, you know, nutrition. And one of the things I saw as a pervasive pattern when people made progress, the way they spoke to their progress was by saying things like, I finally feel like I'm in my body for the first time. I feel finally feel connected to my body. And that was probably one of the most common responses that people would get from like a yoga class or health coaching or massage. And I started to realize, yeah, we're all coming for like, I have indigestion, I have pain, I have a shoulder injury that I wanna heal. We have more of these symptomatic things that we think is the main focus, but underlying all that, we just want to connect to ourselves. We want a better connection to ourselves. We want it to be more open, expansive, so that we have kind of a foundational way to connect to others also. And all these symptoms that we're experiencing of suffering, of pain, of chronic issues, essentially are all symptoms of disconnection. And so as I start, you know, over the years as an instructor and a massage therapist and a coach and a facilitator, a lot of these patterns started showing where I was like, okay, embodiment coaching is essentially going to the root cause of all this, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is connection to self and connection to others, like the deepest level of connection and, and going in, I am the type of person, I love art, I'm very abstract, I love philosophy, but growing up in a more religious household, one of my issues growing up was, okay, cool, we go to church and we feel all these feelings and then everyone gets in the car and starts fighting. So obviously none of this applies to daily life. This doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I remember seeing that like, cool, everyone feels good when they're talking abstract, but like nothing's happening, nothing's changing. And you know, this is specific to my childhood and my experience. I'm not saying this is true of everything, but mm -hmm. I, over time really wanted there to be like practical solutions. There has to be a practical way for this to fit into my busy daily life where I'm already burnt out or overwhelmed or dealing with stress. It can't just be this philosophical thing that's inaccessible to people, only accessible to like high level privileged, wealthy people that can go on retreats. You know, there needed, mm -hmm. I knew there was going to be truth that was accessible to anyone, no matter where they were in life. And that became more of my vision and purpose of like accessibility and understanding that so much of this is actually already within us and society conditions us to stay disconnected and to stay thinking that we're supposed to reach out to authorities that somehow know more than us to give us the answer when ultimately the answers are kind of lying within and we just have in us a society at Western society, I want to say. Mm -hmm. really cultivated how to connect to our own inner wisdom. You know? So if somebody's listening to this today and they're wondering, you know, could I utilize the training that you give? What is like a, a, 
a small diagnostic or experiment or touchstone that somebody could do to kind of see that, yeah, I have some work to do in this area. Can you think of like a way that somebody could really kind of check this for themselves to see if this is something that could really benefit them to dive a little deeper? Yeah, I actually have a, um, trying to see if I can pull it up, a form that I've had people fill out, basically an, an embodiment pre uh, assessment to see mm -hmm. where they lie around their bodies, around relationships, around emotions, around their mind, around spirituality, where they can kind of go through an assessment to see where do I lie on any of these as far as how connected I am to various points. And with this assessment tool that I have clients, one-on-one -on -one clients do at the beginning of working with me, we see kind of where the points are in their life that are that feel maybe weaker or they haven't cultivated as much and that almost becomes part of the roadmap of what we would do working together excellent excellent um now you sometimes you do one-on-one -on -one coaching you sometimes do workshops you want to tell me a little bit more about that yeah i am on various platforms i'm mostly on insight timer which is a meditation app it's, yeah, I learned about that through you. Yeah, yeah. I heard you're doing a talk on there. Yeah. It has the largest free library of meditations, as far as I know. I mean, that's what they advertise. If I know different, then I would say it. Um, but as far as I know right now, free access to the app gives you access to 132,000 meditations. Oh, and wow. there's a paid membership, you know, yearly membership you can pay for where you have access to like different courses that teachers put out and uh, and you can like, you know, gives you access to download anything and save stuff. Uh, but I do lives on there at least once a week where we there. I call them like mini workshops where we're exploring topics for like one to two hours at a time mm -hmm. in, in the embodied living world of like boundaries, relationships, habits, mm -hmm. you know, listening, it, creating healthier inner dialogue, working, allowing mindset to work with body sensation, going into somatic awareness, different practices. So we're going into different topics of exploration every week. Of course, I'm just learned this about this app last month. So I've just started, you know, being on this app more. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, the main, the main things I do outside of like, that's like the free content I'm putting out is I work one-on-one -on -one with clients like for three months, six months or a year. And then I have, I actually have a group coaching coming up next week and it's a three month program. Uh, and then I do, sometimes I'll do like masterminds or workshops and I have, you know, you can, on my website, you can access like free stuff. You can access things that are lower investment points, higher investment points, depending on what you need. So I have resources and little courses on my on my website that people can access too. Yeah, so I'm gonna link your website in the bio of this podcast so that people can uh, access it. Um, you do have a program that starts uh, March 28th through the 30th. So uh, this is a great opportunity for, if you're listening to this now uh, to check out the website in the link in the bio of this uh, this talk. So And I, it's the link tree one that I gave you, right? It's the link tree, yep, yeah, yep. Okay, perfect. Yep. So the link tree, yeah, it has different offers I have like a free 14 day meditation series on cultivating self-compassion. So there's, you know, a variety of offers. The, the, the three month program that's starting next week is called radical authenticity. Uh, and I'm keeping it, I'm capping it to a like 12 people or less so that we oh, can wow. keep it kind of intimate and, and really develop connections, you know, as, um, as part of 
what's important is uh, this the skill of co-regulation, which is learning how to regulate with other people, not just alone. I love that. We've had that discussion here on this app. And, you know, I really feel as though I know some people that have, you know, central nervous system challenges that uh, have a hard time. We were talking about fight or flight mode. And, you know, can you speak a little bit to that experience when someone is in that condition where they spend like 99% of their time, I don't, maybe that's an extreme, but uh, in these fear or flight or flight modes, uh, can what you're talking about help somebody uh, navigate a more productive life uh, with your training? Yeah, that's actually what the majority of this three month coaching program is gonna mm -hmm. be about. It's uh, most people think of fight or flight or rest and digest. And that, you know, one of the things that I think consciousness and research and Western science is catching up with the brilliance of ancient traditions around the world is that things are not in binary. Things are always on a spectrum, including the nervous system. And so the binary that we all think we live in is fight or flight or rest and digest. Turns out there's many, many states in the nervous system and they can appear very differently for very different people. So one person, quote unquote, in a fight or flight response, it looks like people pleasing. That's their fight or flight response. Another person is big explosive anger. Another person is completely stoic, pretending to be rational as if they have no emotions because they're completely cut off from it, but they're equally in a fight or flight response to the person with explosive anger or the person who's cleaning the kitchen instead of arguing. And all of these people are in a very similar state in their nervous system, and it's appearing very differently for each person. And we base most of our life and judgment based on our own personal experience, because that's where we're living. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about learning about the nervous system and how to shift and be in various different states is that we can learn to regulate not just our nervous system but regulate our emotions in a way where we can learn to be more permissive in our human experience meaning if i feel anger that's not a bad thing because i know how to now safely navigate through the emotion of anger in a way that's not going to cause harm to myself or others mm -hmm. and because i'm no longer afraid of it and i have the tools and resourcing capabilities to stay connected with other people while i'm feeling my anger it's no longer about this extremely tall expectation that we're supposed to be calm all the time because that expectation actually leads a lot of people into dissociation and into apathy and not being able to hold presence and be with other people's emotion. So a lot of people that think they're supposed to be calm all the time actually are in, ironically in a fight or flight response themselves. The purpose of learning how to regulate our emotions is so that we can stay connected to each other while we're having emotions, which can feel dysregulating. That, I mean, that right there, um, I just could dig into that for days because I literally think that, um, that understanding that is good for everybody <laughs> um, in very practical ways, Lydia, because I, I really feel as though, you know, you can read a lot of textbooks and things like that, but just having the equipment on board to process things versus shame them or try to pretend they're not there. I mean, I love that you, you're bringing to light that there are consequences to burying these things or trying to shame yourself away from doing them or whatever it might be. 
and to live in them and to uh, regulate them internally with the tools that you're, I, I understand that you're talking about here. And, you know, one of the things that I, I am not myself a licensed like therapist. I am mm -hmm. a, a embodiment coach and I have thousands of hours of training at this point in various modalities. Um, being trauma informed is extremely important to me because I think that's one of the issues that people and especially healing modalities, you know, they, they hide behind good intention without realizing their unresolved trauma is getting in the way of actually helping facilitate healing for other people. So I think anyone in a healing space has complete responsibility to work through their own shit. <laughs> and if you don't, you are unconsciously continuing to perpetuate harm to others and thinking you're, you have good intention. I think that's one of the biggest blind spots in, you know, in various different religious beliefs and in various different like uh, healing modalities. As long as I have good intention, I'm not causing harm. I call bullshit. Mm -hmm. I could say that for the rest of my life and continue to pe perpetuate white supremacy and racism. Mm -hmm. If I convince myself that I am have good intention, but I'm not willing to look at how I've been conditioned to be racist as a white human, mm -hmm. you know, just based on the conditioning of society, then I will continue to unconsciously perpetuate aspects of the system that I'm essentially choosing to ignore, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I see this, I obviously have a long way to go in my own processes of healing, which I believe, mm -hmm. again, anyone in the healing in any sort of healing industry or modality has to own and surround themselves with people who can hold them accountable and to have checks and balances. Cause I think that's another thing when we don't have checks and balances in our life, then we can convince ourselves of anything because that's the ego. That's the purpose of the ego right. is, to, is to create a bias and to let life confirm that bias all the time. So if we don't have anyone that can see what our true integrity is, our desire, and hold us to that. And then mm -hmm. we can have relationships where we can, you know, hold each other to growing in integrity and living true to our values. Then I can convince myself I'm awesome while I'm hurting people and be in right. denial and have blind spots. I think every human has, just like when you're driving a car, there's a blind spot. <laughs> That's right. We have blind spots. Yeah. Like want, li literally our blind spot is our back. We cannot see our backs. Mm -hmm. So that is a natural blind spot we have on our actual body. Our eyes face forward. We have a little bit of peripheral vision, but outside of our periphery, we're blind. We cannot see past our peripheral vision. So physically, we have a blind spot. We, can't, we have sensation awareness, a little bit of our back, but we're mostly aware of the front of our body. And that goes for our emotions and our psyche and everything else. We have natural blind spots that mm -hmm. th the way we can essentially help to move through and release blind spots is by having community and by having a tribe and by having people who, you know, not just agree in the same way, but also have skills like deductive reasoning, the skills of discernment, the skills of growth, you know, over time, because I can also pick a tribe that has the same blind spot as me. None of us have to look at ourselves. You that's know? very so, true. So speaking of now, you, you mentioned the back, like, um, I think some people like carry stress 
is pains in their backs and things like that. Is there a part of the body that we should listen to as sort of a dipstick and telling how dirty our engine is, if you will? Um, and and maybe that's like an an uh, like a reason to say maybe I need some some embodiment coaching or some help in this area. I learned Thai Ayurveda uh, over a decade ago, and the philosophy from Thai massage and Ayurveda, Ayurvedic healing from the lineage I was in was that we have, they call them different bodies. So different aspects of our human experience. We have a bliss or spiritual body, energetic body, breath body, physical body, emotional body, etc. And the more physical we are, so like our physical body is the, essentially the slowest vibration and that's why we feel it as physical. Mm-hmm. Most of our issues start energetically. And if it's not addressed, then it becomes a mental issue. If it's not addressed, it becomes an emotional issue. And if it's not addressed, it becomes a physical issue. So if you're dealing from that perspective, if you're dealing with any sort of chronic physical condition, there's 100% an emotional and psychological and energetic component to that, that are probably causative as well. And the Western mind dissociated from that, you know, around what the enlightenment age, or I'm not going to try to say, I know history completely at one point, you know, I had this (laughs) discussion down when I would teach it, but, but at one point the Western kind of uh, mind decided to dissociate from all that and say the mind was everything Mm -hmm. and nothing was connected. You know, the brain is not connected to the foot and the foot is not connected to the hand. And that's why you go to a podiatrist or you go, I would say anyone who's listening, if you have any sort of chronic tension in your body, there's emotional causative elements to that. And if you have any emotional, mental health stuff going on, there's a physical component and there's a psychological component. And there's most likely some sort of energetic or spiritual component. This all sounds very abstract, but what's cool mm-hmm. about a lot of the current research in, again, the Western paradigm is they're finally catching up with this ancient wisdom and they're bringing to the West, to the kind of intellectual person, you know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of focus on intellect. And so we kind of put that at the priority and there's a lot of tools now that have been proven and there's evidence to show that there's actually a lot of techniques and modalities and practices we can do now to start allowing all these different aspects of our experience to become more collaborative. So we're not thinking emotion is different than our physical body. And again, this is very abstract, but it's very, it comes into very, very practical practices that can shift completely your relationship to being afraid of conflict where you can go into tense conversations and feel completely connected to your own authenticity in a way that honors the other person instead of hurts them where you can start not being afraid of boundaries but actually seeing them as opportunities to to create deeper trust with people you care about you know so there's very very practical ways that this can show up and it really starts with just noticing (laughs) wow, I've had shoulder pain for a while. This is interesting. Mm. Let me get curious about it. Or like, wow, I've had indigestion. When did my indigestion actually start? Oh, it started when I got divorced. That's interesting. Let me get curious about that. You know, so Mm. many of the people I've worked with, especially in massage, 
a lot of their chronic conditions, when I ask what was happening in your life around the time it started, it was something emotional and or some big event like a car accident or some kind of trauma shock thing that happened where their body developed certain adaptive patterns at that time that just became chronic. And now they're living with kind of patterns that they've now associated with their personality or things that can't change because a doctor said it, they can't change, you know, and we're taught to believe that doctors are infallible and they, and that there's not much of a connection in their mind between the event and 10 years later, what they're dealing with. Now, some of what you're talking about sounds very top down and some of it sounds very grassroots up, uh, like from dealing with the body seems very like from the bottom up and then, you know, working on the mind and the mindset and being like a listener to your body and, you know, finding ways to be, you know, mindful and all of that just feels a little bit more top down. Would you agree with that? And do you think that it is that that dual approach that is helping your your people uh your in your classes do well yeah and for anyone listening mm -hmm. what daryl's saying is top down is when we when we try to approach life kind of from our mindset and our intellect and we try to kind of think about it and then mm -hmm. see if we can affect the body and then bottom up is more about like be meditating or doing breath work or things that really directly relate to the body and eventually translate into understanding it in our intellect I use both approaches depending on the individual. Mm -hmm. Some people come and depending on the amount of trauma they have in their body, they really need a top-down approach first. Mm -hmm. Many clients I work with want the information and the understanding intellectually in order to feel safe enough to give full consent to go into their body. Mm -hmm. Many people don't need that and just love doing breath work and eventually want to kind of understand why it's actually helping them at some point. And then there's some people that are just like, cool, this works. I don't need to know why <laughs> I'm just full in the experience. And this is enough, you know, like this is great. Um, and so I, my process has been, I've realized for me and my personal healing, I've really needed a lot of top down approach, understanding of the information because the, a lot of the trauma in my life happened from authoritarian, kind of hierarchies of like, do it because I said so. I'm not going to tell you why. Mm -hmm. You just have to trust me. And then mm. trauma was caused. Does the body, when you're um, in that situation, uh, does it interpret that environment in a way that kind of creates trauma? And I'm wondering, like, is there sort of uh, like, that, does that affect everybody the same way? Or is it some people have it affect them differently? You know, it that affects, authoritarian figure. It affects figure. everyone differently. Someone can yeah. be in a plane crash and not have mm -hmm. any trauma, traumatic experience from the plane crash. And someone mm -hmm. can watch the plane crash on TV and be traumatized. So we very all relate to experiences in life very differently. And we all have, I mean, it goes down to like, how are we defining trauma? You know, mm -hmm. my experience, I had several different experiences as a child, so I'm not exactly sure what, like, if, if you're talking about just my childhood in general or if a specific event, because I dealt with a lot of different things. Well, it doesn't have to be you specifically, but I'm just saying in general for someone that like in that scenario where let's say their, their situation is a very authoritative, don't question me, just do it kind of thing. And their body needs some sort of other level of uh, cooperative uh, environment or something that's that's different than that. And so when, when the environment doesn't fit what your body needs, 
that's what I'm trying to say. Don't the, doesn't that kind of conflict that separation as you talked about? It can manifest in many different ways. So if for anyone that's listening, you know, if you if you like kind of doing more research, look up uh, attachment theory. Attachment theory is one of the main um, evidence-based theories that's been around for a few decades now in psychology related to relationships. So depending mm -hmm. on how your caretakers treated you as a child in the first year and a half, they can predict how you will be in your relationships as an adult. So there's different styles of attachment theory. For example, you can be more of an avoidant attachment, which is more like a kind of afraid of conflict. You're a little more of a people pleaser. Uh, you're, you're more stoic. You don't kind of show a lot of emotion and you're more likely to kind of uh, leave conversation rather than lean in. More avoidant attachment is someone who's constantly like, wait, are you okay? Wait, what did you mean? Kind of that almost interrogative <laughs> to the avoidant person. You kind of almost lean it. You're also kind of afraid of conflict, but you're someone who's more going to express a lot of emotion. You can also show up as a people pleaser. Uh, there's more anxiety. A lot of times anxious and avoidant people get together mm -hmm. and it feels incompatible, but it's simply attachment styles that any, the cool thing about attachment theory is you can heal and become secure attached. And then there's people that are like more, um, it's called unpredictable attachment. So it's kind of a combo of both. And so just the way your caretakers kind of treated you in the first couple of years of life basically determines if you don't work on it, how all your relationships will be as an adult. Mm -hmm. And that's one example. Then there's, you know, if your needs aren't met in various different ways, you could end up with chronic like IBS as an adult or mm. chronic, I had chronic ear infections for the first 20 years of my life. That was one way it showed up. I had mm -hmm. chronic health uh, indigestion issues, you know, gut issues for a lot of my life because I was in a chronic state of fight or flight. Uh, and it's actually called dorsal activation where your gut, all the nerves in your gut kind of shut down. And so there's not the ability to have a healthy digestion, elimination, metabolism. And that's actually an emotional a nervous system response to like emotional abandonment, essentially, um, on various levels. And my parent and I want to say my parents were very loving. They did the best they could. Mm -hmm. And I also still had traumatic experiences because again, there's so much understanding now that they did not have in the eighties, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a kid and the culture then was very different. There was no such thing as consent culture. You know, I was just actually mm -hmm. talking to my dad about it today, how, I was a kid when all relatives had complete access to my body without my permission. And I had to mm -hmm. just go with it to be a good kid, you know, and mm -hmm. that causes a lot of trauma. We're speaking with Lydia. She's the embodiment coach. And uh, the link to her website is in the bio here on Deeper Planet. So Lydia, I thank you for your time today. I'm going to ask you this question about epiphanies. I feel like I love to collect epiphanies in my life. Like when you when you finally realize something, it's like it unlocks a whole bunch of other things like dominoes. Was there a time during your journey of learning all of this that you had like an epiphany that unlocked a lot of other things uh, for you? All of life is an epiphany. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I never had, you know, in movies and, and a lot of media, there's this like redemption story, even in marketing of like, tell your story, how you were at rock bottom and then something magically lightened you up and all of a sudden your life changed. And I'm like, what if you're like me? I, what if you've had like 25 rock bottoms at different levels of experience and mm. you know life is going to hit you, knock you down a few more times before you die? Like, 
I'm more of the person of like the mundane is usually where the epiphanies hit mm-hmm. the mundane living of life. <laughs> I could say I probably have had a thousand epiphanies in my life. So I'm almost 38 in my early twenties. I developed an eating disorder as a survival strategy for my life at the time. Mm-hmm. Most addiction is a form of survival strategy mm-hmm. when you don't have any way else, anything else. Right. So there was a period of time where I was really discouraged because it was over, you know, a few years that I had this addictive pattern and relationship of like hatred essentially with my body and life. And I was during that time, I did a yoga teacher training and I was sitting on the beach. We had just gone into town for like a Dharma talk and I was kind of sitting on the beach, maybe in meditation or sitting there. I don't know. And I had the epiphany that, you know, I learned in physics that time and space is, is an agreed upon structure of our paradigm, but it's not what's super real. Time is not linear and space is based on our experience with feeling that things are solid, even though they're 99.99% dark matter (laughs) and space, right? So we live in the constructs of this idea that things are solid and that time is moving in a linear fashion, which according to physics, especially theoretical physics is not correct ultimately. And so I kind of had had this awareness because I had, and I was sitting there like feeling super discouraged about these patterns that I had no idea what to do. People were afraid of them for me. So no one was kind of holding huge hope (laughs) or it was like vague hope of you'll get over it, you know, where it wasn't super helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had this moment of of epiphany, maybe it's intuition and your wisdom, whatever you want to call it of you're not going to be okay because you already are. You're already okay. You're not going to be okay at some future date because you already are. It's just the perspective that you have access to that's keeping you from seeing the reality of who you are underneath all this conditioning and suffering. Potential is never far away from us. It's always it's always there as much as we are willing to see it. Similar to like my parents used to say, God's there no matter if you believe it or not. It doesn't mean God's far away if you don't believe it. And I... I now use words like potential and, you know, our capacity for change. And I had a moment where I realized outside of this construct of time and space that I'm living on, my core understanding is that this healing is so possible and has already happened. But as a human living in this linear time and space, I kind of have to live out the healing and recovery process, (laughs) but it's already happened. And so what am I worrying about? I don't have to worry. And that allowed me to have, to kind of gain access to this level of such a deep commitment and resolve to my healing process, because it wasn't even hope. It was just a a knowing that I hadn't really had access to before or realized I could have access to. And it it became my anchoring point from then on. And I have used that similar concept of outside in time of time and space, this pattern, I'm this habit I want to get rid of, or this habit I want to start or whatever has already happened. And, you know, maybe some you people talk about it at the quantum level on um, in the quantum field. If you like, as soon as you ask, it is received. That's also in the Bible, you know, for those of you who have connection and resonate with like biblical words and wisdom, but like, when when you've asked it is received in that moment in that reality and then as humans we live out the linear time and space because that's our paradigm that we've chosen to agree on you know and anyone outside that paradigm you're either on like drugs or like some psychedelic 
And there's like a lot more awareness now about that, but we always think it's like outside of the norm to think different, you know? And so the, I, I love this idea of being outside of quote unquote the norm, but then I also understand that I have to work within the game we're playing as humans, mm -hmm. but then we have to be able to move outside the game to see that it's a game. Do you think that making your body lighter and move faster through that transition, do you think that is possible? In what sense? What do you mean by lighter? Lighter as in not weighed down by lower energies or um, emotions that are um, heavy, uh, like fear and uh, shame and guilt and things like that. I see emotion. Every emotion has wisdom. Mm -hmm. And the more we judge it as heavy or light, the more we're going to dissociate. The more we're going to think, oh, I have can only live in high vibes. Cool. That's just going to perpetuate you being afraid of what you think is negative. It's actually uh -huh. not negative. Anger, healthy anger is, a, is one of the biggest, most powerful mobilizers of shifting human consciousness. Because we get to see what's not okay and we do something about it. Unhealthy anger turns into, I don't know where to place this. I don't know how to move through it. I'm now afraid because it has caused harm to myself or someone else. So it then can feel chaotic. So again, it's our paradigm of how we're looking at emotions. So if you, if you think of certain emotions as heavy or negative or slower vibe, you're always going to be afraid of them. And you're never going to actually develop tools to navigate them in a way where anger can be a light and powerful energy rather than a scary and heavy energy. This is why I've loved your talks on the Wisdom app so much, Lydia. And this is why I chose you to be my episode number two. <laughs> I've always enjoyed, uh, you always get me thinking, and um, that's what it's all about here on The Deeper Planet. Uh, we want to think deeper, love deeper, live deeper lives, and then understanding the mind, body, and spirit. And exploring that is what this, this mission is all about. And you've helped us to explore all of that today. And I, I do thank you for that. One last question. Do you feel as though if we are all being more connected to our bodies and understanding the language that our bodies are trying to speak to us, do you think that the, the whole world benefits? Do you think that the entire planet benefits if more of us are able to do the good work that you're talking about today? I mean, I think 100%. I think that's one of the reasons I do what I do. <laughs> you know, like when you look at politics and the corruption that happens at every level, no matter what side of the, the way you are, like the more politics is a binary, the less it's actually nuanced to the human condition and like moving into the space of consciousness. <laughs> Though I do think right now in the US, there is probably one side that's a little more focused on human rights than the other, uh, but we won't go there. Um, but do I think like this process of working with emotion 100% we were all if you want to think of it as given or chose to be humans we were all given or chose a human body which is physical happening with friction in on the planet the more we ignore that this is what we were given to work with as our collaborator the more we're going to stay dissociated from that and the more we're going to continue to perpetuate systems of oppression and systems of supremacy and patriarchy etc we have to come into our bodies i was in my yoga teacher training in the middle of my addiction at the time and i talked to a mentor and i said i i, I you know i grew up in west africa overseas and so i saw i've seen a lot of different cultures over my life and i love traveling 
And I've seen different paradigms and different ways people approach things, both growing up in a religious environment and then being atheist and then being spiritual. So I've kind of been in different groups. Mm -hmm. And I have seen that every human can use their belief system to be blunt, to stay blind or ignorant. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And the only I, I felt a lot of I felt a lot of the, I was close to a lot of poverty and suffering growing up, you know, mm -hmm. in various states. And I asked the mentor, I was like, what do I what do I do about all this violence and awful stuff that I see in the world? And the mentor looked at me and was like, Lydia, it's just a mirror to what's inside all of us. If you're unwilling to face the violence in yourself, you can't make change. You have wow. to face that you're violent to yourself in many ways. And there's condition, you've been conditioned by life living. In order to live in a society, you have to internalize the rules of the society to survive it. We are living in a society of white supremacy, of oppressive systems. We have all had to learn how to internalize this to, to live in the society we're in. So we all have internalized lack of consent in ourselves. Mm -hmm. We all have internalized fear of big emotion and anger, thinking it's bad. We all have internalized thinking that protest is wrong. You know, we, on some mm -hmm. level, all of us have internalized it. And we have to face that within ourselves and not just in ourselves, but in ourselves within the supportive community as well, because co-regulating within community is really important, a really important tool yeah, that. that many yeah. of us in this individualistic kind of Western mind, social media age of technology of like, we're all alone and isolated. And I, again, call bullshit. Like we we're now being asked to come back into community and the power of community with our individual uniqueness, with the power of the individual within the, the you know, the structure of community. There's so much power in both at 100%. The more we call things low vibe and high vibe, the more we're gonna stay stuck. Yeah, I I just love how you go deep. Like, I mean, you go deep within deep within deep sometimes. And I just, <laughs> I love speaking with you, Lydia. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, Lydia's website's link is in the bio here on this talk. And the group training is called Radical Authenticity. Um, it's going to be a really cool program. Uh, so please do check it out. Uh, thank you so much, Lydia, for being a part of this podcast today. Yeah, and I, I want to offer, you know, anyone you know, that's listening and that's resonating with anything I say and or even disagreeing because <laughs> disagreeing is great. It's a way of discerning your own truth. Um, follow me on the wisdom app. You know, you can also click on the link on my bio Instagram and follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, I'm Lydia Grace on Insight Timer where I do lives. I'm doing a live tomorrow on slow is the new fast. And on Friday, I'm going to do a talk on your body, your your body and relationship. And yeah, and I also want to say to anyone listening, my business model, I have different, you know, investment points depending on, you know, how you want to work with me, but I also always have discounts and scholarships. And I feel like that's a really important aspect uh, to offer because I believe in accessibility. And as mm -hmm. much as I am able to do it with full intuition and connection, understanding my own boundaries. I also want to always have that option for people that want to work with me, but you don't necessarily have the financial accessibility to do so in a certain way. You're always free to reach out and ask because that's always an element that I offer. And I like to offer things at various price points all the way to free as well for that same reason. So 
I've yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed our talk today. Lydia, thank you so much. And uh, thanks you for being a part of A Deeper Planet today. Thank you so much, Daryl, for this. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast with the fascinating Lydia Grace. Next week, we'll interview author and performance coach Howard Falco. Howard has been working with both college and professional athletes and coaches for almost every sport for many years now. He's authored two major books on the power of the mind. Get ready for another great episode next week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review and join us next week for another episode of Deeper Planet with Daryl.